Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Old moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome, everyone, to episode 119 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek, and today we're going to talk about how the NBA could help reform youth basketball, the suddenly surging Lakers, and we're going to talk about some mental health uh, stories from Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan that have come out as of late. Before we get underway, wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handle, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We would love any feedback. And we're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports, so check them out on Twitter, at FanRag Sports, and for their NBA content, at FRS Hoops with a Z. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's going well, Brian, because you know who's not a stable genius? <laughs> uh, Sam Nunberg. I was actually thinking more along the lines of Isaiah Thomas, like the good old version of Isaiah Thomas. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Yeah. It's the Detroit Pistons version because, yeah, yeah um, our friend who has not been on the podcast, and we need to change that, Duncan Smith, yeah. who is yeah. from The Athletic, uh, a terrific Pistons writer, uh, more or less called out Thomas for his cap <laughs> management uh, on Twitter, and Thomas responded, and started, I was a valued member of the NBA and NBA's Player Association, the yada, yada, yada. And then everyone just shot him down because, you know, his cap situation with the Knicks back in the day was just atrocious. Right. So shout out to Duncan Smith for uh, for owning a Hall of Famer. I kind of like that one. Well, shout out to Duncan for having the restraint not to fire back. He's, he's smart enough to know that's not going to go anywhere. And he... He just let everyone else to do that for him as he kind of just sat back and laughed. But yeah, that was that was that spiced up Monday night. In case the bachelor oh, yeah. wasn't spicy enough for you, that... I woke up to it. So I want to wake up to that every morning. Just <laughs> some guy just roasting Isaiah Thomas for his cap management skills. Oh, I thought that would be wonderful. I thought you meant an ex NBA player roasting a basketball blogger on Twitter because <laughs> that's. Oh no 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 no! That's 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 difficult. I you know I think the blockers have a leg up when it comes to Twitter wars with players yeah. because they were too busy playing. They they were not <laughs> in on all the whole internet thing, and then 
Yeah, it, it's kind of like the whole Parkland kids, teenagers thing where every politician who goes after them, they just get right. owned right. completely by these kids who grew up on the internet. Learn. Yeah. Learn. NBA players were too busy <laughs> making millions of dollars and becoming famous. Too. That's That just hurts. <laughs> just, that's Yeah. But we got the leg up because we're better on the internet than them. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, we're so pathetic. (laughs) Well, on that note, Mort, let's talk about this big story from Brian Windhorst of ESPN that came out on Monday. So a couple episodes ago, we briefly mentioned the whole NCAA recruitment scandal. Um, Right. And we said at the time, the story A, isn't going away. B, Mm. doesn't only affect the NCAA. Like, there are going to be NBA impacts as well. Lo and behold, Windhorst comes out with this story Monday says uh, the the NBA is preparing to get involved again with elite high school basketball players. It's not currently clear which direction it will take. Uh, it's going to have to collectively bargain with the Players Association pretty much no matter what it does. So more, let's just run through a couple different ideas of how the NBA might be able to help, dare I say, clean up this whole mess mm. that the NCAA has created with uh, its whole amateurism yeah. model. I love that the NBA has to go clean up something, <laughs> you know, clean up a mess that the NCAA made. Right. But okay. Yeah. I mean, the NBA, to be fair, kind of contributed to this mess with the one and done rule, which it created in 2005, which prevented high school players from de- uh, declaring for the draft without going to college. Now, they have to spend at least one year after gra- or yeah one year after graduating yeah. high school. They could either go to college, the G League, international doesn't matter, but they have to spend one year out before they can play. Yeah, so right. I guess more that's probably the most logical place to start. Adam Silver has discussed the uh, one and done rule. Michelle Roberts has discussed it as well. Do you think the NBA should get rid of it? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean. If you are a high school kid, like DeAndre, you know, like a DeAndre Ayton type, or you know, a uh, I'm, I'm, I'm losing his name right, Sion, Sion Williamson, who's going to Duke next year, who's mm-hmm. just a yeah, like a, a physical freak. If those guys feel ready athletically to compete in the NBA, give them a shot. I mean, it, <laughs> worst thing is they fall in the draft. And they enter the league one year too soon, and the league kind of redshirts them, or you know, the team redshirts them and sends them to the D league and develops them a little bit slower. They'll still come around. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't see a problem with it, honestly. I mean, look, I think back in the day, you know, with the whole high school influx, you know, Kwame, Tyson, Eddie Curry, all those guys, mm-hmm. that was just a weird time because the league was sort of in disarray. Michael Jordan has just retired. The league was lacking an identity. Ratings were down. It was probably the worst brand of basketball since the 70s. Everything was ISO, and everything was about stars and and branding and hip-hop. And it, and when I say hip-hop, we like players wanted to be hip-hop stars. Likewise, as NBA players, like the oh, focus yeah, yeah. wasn't entirely on the court. Mm-hmm. Everything was, oh, I need to get, I need to, to emulate Jordan. I need to get my brand going in whatever capacity that meant. So these high school players were just never really given a, a, I want to say a proper MPA education. Mm -hmm. Whereas today we see these players, you know, these veterans who just live for basketball and nothing else. 
um, you know, they play a game and they go home, mm-hmm. which I really like. Teams have, over the last decade, preferred players who got their life in order and who are great quality people, not just quality basketball players. So a red flag is more severe now than it was 10 years ago. So you you have these high caliber personalities now in the league who are, in, in my opinion, more ready to kind of take these high school kids who come into the league under their wing and go, you know what, young fellow, let, let me just show, the, show you the ropes here. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the NBA is just more prepared now. For having another influx of high school stars, and also I, I think I think players are smarter. Even the even young kids now who are on the internet a whole lot more, you know, have access to to so much more information. I think a lot of those kids they're not going to go to the league prematurely. They're going to look at what's out there. They're going to look at teams. They're going to l- listen to college offers. They're going to look at overseas offers, and they're going to try to gauge their own game. Like, am I ready? I don't think this is a similar situation. Uh, as back in the day when, oh, I'm a high school kid, that automatically automatically means I'm attractive to NBA teams. I, I think those days are gone, and I think players knows it, I think agents know, know it, and I think teams knows it. So overall, I just think everyone is ready now. Yeah, so I mean, I, I definitely agree that for the top players, like a LeBron James, a Kevin Durant, uh, right. you know, recent examples, a Ben Simmons, a Kyrie Irving, you don't gain that much from going to college in terms of your basketball development. You would be better suited not having to pretend to go to class and pretend to do work. And you can just get with an NBA team, start learning the, you know, the rigors of being a professional basketball player, get, you know, be able to devote your entire time to that and your, you know, diet, exercise, sleep, all that good stuff that be exposed to an NBA training staff. So for those right. guys, like if it, if it means getting those guys in the league earlier and not making them <laughs> do this charade of being a uh, college player for a year, I'm totally cool with that. I would push back a little, though, because I do think we would see examples where guys who aren't those top prospects would declare. And I, you know, I, I guess the argument... Uh, you could argue that, well, that's their problem. Like, if they're not ready, an NBA team just isn't going to choose them. But then what right. happens to those guys? Like, I do worry about kind of the, you know, the, the class above, like, the top five recruits or the number one recruit in that class. Like, what if the number 15 guy has someone blowing smoke up his ass and is like, don't worry, dude, you're going to be a, like a late first round pick. You're still going to get a guaranteed contract at millions of dollars. Just go. And then he goes to the combine. He goes through workouts. Teams realize he's not ready. He doesn't get drafted. Now he's not going to college. He can go to the G league, but I, I think the maximum salary there is like $26,000. He can go abroad, I guess, and then try next year. But I, I do worry that, there would be a pipeline of kids who kind of get lost in that mix. Well, I, you know, I, I agree with you on that, but aren't we also at times seeing freshmen who leave college too soon? Yeah. Like, isn't that the same situation, basically? Yeah. I mean, probably to, I would worry that it would happen to a greater degree if there were, yeah. um, if, they, if it was just, you can go straight out of high school. High I, school. I mm-hmm. would think... You know, again, it's like 
I just worry about the outside influences. Like, I don't think if you get rid of the one and done rule that there still aren't going to be agents and runners and shoe companies getting in on these kids um, throughout high school and telling them, like, you know, thinking about themselves more than the kids. Like, I, I just, yeah. I, I'm, a lot of my thinking here is coming from John Anthony Abrams' book. I think it was called Boys Among Men, and it was, you know, yeah. tracking the prep to pro uh transition and like yeah there were a lot of success stories back then like kobe and kg lebron dwight howard but then there were mcgrady yeah right right and but then there were a lot of guys who didn't transition very successfully Mm. and it's those guys who i worry about but that said i mean to your point mort i think teams are better equipped now in terms of player development in terms of paying attention to the needs of each player and realizing like you know this kid let's say we drafted an 18 year old he's probably not unless he's lebron james he's probably not going to be ready to fed be fed to the wolves for 35 minutes a game as a rookie like let's bring him along slowly we know this is a project this is an investment this is a long-term investment like we have if it's a first round pick we have this kid under team control for up to nine years. Let's not F this up by overwhelming him too early. Let's like let, let's run him off for 10, 15 minutes a game off the bench at first, dip his toes in the water, get used to being an NBA player before we throw him overboard. Say, you know, <laughs> you're playing 35 minutes a game and guarding James Harden on night one of your NBA career. I don't think yeah, there are that yeah. many teams that would do that kind of thing. No, I, I agree. That's only for the absolute physical freaks out there who would have gone number one regardless, right? Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a good it's it's an interesting thought you know process because obviously we have those Corleone young examples mm-hmm. going back to to back in the day. But I mean, when you look back at the amount of high school players who ended up becoming either stars or good starters. Like, you also have a Richard Lewis in there, mm-hmm. for example. Like, that was a significant amount. And and if, just going back to Richard Lewis, like, the Sonics didn't rush him. And suddenly he just he started finding his rhythm in, like, year two or year three, and it just kind of worked from there. So so to your point, that's I, I think that would be a very logical assumption that NBA teams would take that approach with players who are, like, maybe not majorly athletic freaks, but still... NBA caliber player players in their senior year in high school, mm-hmm. I, and again, I mean, look, a year younger also means another year of learning in the NBA. The first four years of that player's career, you know, instead of college, oh my God, I mean, the development yeah. curve would just be so much better, especially in this environment today. Yeah. So the other thing that I worry about, at least from the NBA perspective, is obviously you have far fewer opportunities to scout these kids against elite competition. Um, mm. You know, they play, yeah, they play NC or AAU tournaments every summer, but outside of that, like, you can only schedule so many marquee games uh, if you're at high school. And I'm, I'm looking right. back now a couple of years to look at, like, all right, you know, who, what were the recruiting rankings coming out of 2013, for instance? And, like, yeah, most of the top guys, it was Wiggins, Randall, Aaron Gordon, Jabari Parker were the top four, which is, you know, Randall fell to seventh, Gordon. It was basically those four guys were all top ten picks. 
Number five was Andrew Harrison. Number six was Aaron Harrison. Number 14 was Joel Embiid. <laughs> the next yeah. year, we'll go to 2014 now. The next year, Jaleel Okafor was the number one overall recruit. Emmanuel Moutier was number two. Stanley Johnson was third. Cliff Alexander was fourth. Carl Anthony Towns was fifth. Mm. So do you think there's a concern, at least from the NBA side, of, you know, we're, like this is going to add a lot more variability to the top of the draft because we just don't have the scouting opportunities that we have when these kids go to college? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good point. I, I don't think the NBA would look at those rankings. I think teams would, would look at the players individually and then make a decision based upon that. I think it was pretty obvious that Carl Anthony Towns was always going to be better than Cliff Alexander. <laughs> so, right. I mean, just get him in for a workout. Um, yeah, I mean, the fact that the NBA, I, it, let me just reiterate here the nba right now do not nba teams do not have access to to high school game or they're not allowed in high school gym they're not allowed to scout high school right but obviously they do it anyway mm-hmm. i mean otherwise michael porter won't get drafted right theoretically right I mean, right but that's obviously the. I, I always thought that was a weird inclusion in the whole thing i think they should be allowed to scout in you know high school obviously they do mm-hmm. um but I, I think there's. It's kind of weird that the NBA is trying to limit uh, NBA's team's availability in terms of when to scout a certain player. If, look, LeBron James' son right now, LeBron James Jr., who's mm-hmm. 13 years old. Mm. He's all over YouTube. He's all over Instagram, probably stuff like that. NBA teams are would have to be blind not to see something, mm-hmm. and they would have to be stupid if they saw something good not to look at it any further. So the league should just open up. You know scouting and then obviously there should be some rules like you would have to be 18 to get drafted or something or just out of high school at the latest if Mm -hmm. you're you know late 17 just about to turn 18 i guess that's fine both jermaine o'neill and kobe Bryant were 17 when they were drafted i believe Mm -hmm. but just open up the the scouting game any age whatsoever I, i don't see a problem with that so to that point Let's move past the one and done and talk about some other options the NBA is considering. Um, Windhorse reported, as you alluded to, they, a plan is expected to include the NBA starting relationships with elite teenagers while they're in high school, providing skills to help them develop both on and off the court. It would ultimately open an alternate path to the NBA besides playing in college in a way 18-year-olds could earn a meaningful salary either from NBA teams or as part of an enhanced option in the developmental G League. So, again, there's nothing uh, concrete at this point. Uh, Windhorse said Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, could present a plan within the next few months, but there is a commission on college basketball that is going to present a report this spring. Uh, Silver is seemingly waiting to see what they have to say before coming up with anything uh, on his end. But uh, let's look at the G League first, Mort. So right now, mm-hmm. again, I believe the, the maximum salary uh, is around $26,000. Do you think there's a way... Yeah. For, well, aside from two-way contracts? Right, um, right. Do you think there's there's an avenue there for the NBA to expand this and say, you know, kind of create a separate like two-way contract for 18-year-olds, basically? 
Yeah, I, I think so. Look, look, the NBA is in financially in very good shape. They, mm-hmm. it would have to be an investment for sure, but they could pump pump money into the G League if if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. No problem there. So I I think they should treat the G League a little bit differently than they do now with the low salaries. Mm-hmm. I would like to see it bumped up a little bit because they have every chance of making that secondary league attractive, not just for for players but for fans as well. Because when you look at that league, there is substantial talent right there. It's just because there aren't these marquee names in terms of Kevin Durant or whatever. But if you take the best G League team and you tour it in Europe, that would win like 80, 85% of the games. Not more. I mean, um, so what I'm, I'm I'm sitting there thinking that the G League is just a hidden gem in terms of yeah. what it can be, uh, and and if they if the NBA could find a way to create some rules that would allow these young kids to play on G League teams without having like an official or unofficial agreement, wink wink, with the team that owns that G League team, that mm-hmm. would be perfect. Um, and I think that's where you know, the concern comes in because every team now more or less owns a G League team. And if a high school kid who's touted as possibly the number one guy a year from now, and he decides I want to go to the G League a year before I want to get drafted, for example, like that's just mm-hmm. say he wants to do that. And he's affiliated with the Lakers squad or whatever. Teams would be like, Oh, do they have an inside track on this kid? Not right. that that matters because the draft would prevent that. But then, <laughs> right. oh, you know, no, but like in free agency later on, oh, he's got ties with the Lakers. Could he consider taking the qualifying offer four years from now just so he can sign with the Lakers because he had that one year with their organization-ish? Uh, there are probably the fear of having people's toes being stepped on, which mm-hmm. I get. But I do think it's possible. I, I think everyone wants the same thing. Everyone wants a good product. Everyone wants to see the G League grow and be financially stable in its own right. So, I mean, I would I would develop the hell out of it. But, okay, I'm, I'm from Europe, you know. I'm all right. in on the academies. I'm used right. to a different type of system. For, for, for me, when it comes to football and all that, it's all about youth academies, you know, young young football squads. And, and seeing these kids climb in the ranks. So whatever, whenever the word development, player development is, is, is being floated around, I'm just like all in, mm-hmm. right, off, right off the bat, because <laughs> I, I, I want the best for, for young players, always, always, always. I think that's going to improve the product. So whatever the NBA can figure out, and I mean, I would probably be behind it. So I'm glad you mentioned the academies, because that was another thing Windhorst mentioned as a thing that the NBA explored. Um, So again, as you mentioned, kind of similar to what European soccer and basketball clubs use. Um, It would just be, he said it would, they would house and train dozens of the country's elite high school basketball players. Um, The NBA has a couple academies internationally, uh, three in China, one in India and one in Senegal and a global academy with prospects across the planet at the Australia Institute of Sport. Uh, Recently opened another academy in Mexico City, according to Windhorst, but he reported that after discussions with teams and examining challenges and possible unintended consequences with establishing these operations in the U.S., the NBA has has decided not to go down the academy path at this time. So, Mort, you are going to have more experience with the academy stuff than 99% of U.S. basketball fans, myself included. So can you just give us kind of a primer on 
how they work and what uh, yeah. you know what these possible unintended consequences might be. Well, let's start with how they work. And I, I, I could use my own son as an example. Like he's only okay. six, and but like right now he's affiliated with a with a football club. Like he's he's playing with a uh, on a youth squad. And let's just for the sake of the argument say that he becomes really really good, and he sticks with that team. Like they have a a like a you know a first team, the one that competes, mm-hmm. and then they have like you know secondary academy squads for players who are under 18 under 17 under 16 under 15 and so on and so on and so on and then usually whenever a kid you know moves up in age they they go to a different squad but if that kid is really really good and he let's say he's 12 he can still be moved up to the under 16 squad because maybe that's his line of you know that that's that quality he has. It's he, this twelve-year-old might be as good as someone age sixteen, so he'll play there, and they'll kind of gauge the whole club will be gauging. You know how where do we put him? Like is he going to climb further over the next couple of years? And just here uh, a while ago, the the second largest football club in Denmark, uh, Brøndby, uh, they they had a sixteen-year-old kid out there for the first team. Like in the top league, top top football league in Denmark, mm-hmm. sixteen years old, playing in in the midfield, and maybe you know they had some alternatives who were better, but they decided this kid was ready to mentally and physically to compete at that level, and they gave him a chance. And so it, they are rewarding early payoffs. They are rewarding these kids who are just working their butts off and are very close to being similar to the adults in that vein, and. That that means that they don't really put a limit on where this guy can can be. Whereas the NBA and the American ecosystem, it's always like it's very set in these square boxes. You have to be one year removed from this. You have to go this. You have to go here. You have to do this and this and that. That's not how it works over here. Like Ricky Rubio, I believe, got his debut for Juventus at the age of fourteen professionally. Mm-hmm. It, it just allows players to get ahead a little bit earlier and it it makes them more available for the first team so they can sort of see what they have in the pipeline mm-hmm. and they can develop develop them at their own speed. And, and here's the great thing about it. like If a kid is moved out to the first team and he struggles, then he's just moved back to the academy teams until he's ready. Like the, There isn't this thing where, oh, he signed an NBA contract, which means that He's sort of locked into this thing. Yeah, sure, you can move him to the D League back and forth, but that's not really why and how the G League works. Mm-hmm. Whereas in football over here, or not just football, just in handball and everything, over here the system is way more fluid. Mm-hmm. It just creates some situations that could be tailored for the specific player and his specific needs. Mm-hmm. And I kind of appreciate that. And I want to see the NBA and the NCAA and the G League come together and find a solution that would make things more fluid for basketball players in the in the United States. Because right now it's just so locked. It's it's right. so locked. You have to take one year of college. After that, you, you sign an NBA contract if you get drafted. Now you're on this four-year contract and you better improve. And if not, you're being sent down to the G League, which is just, it's a completely different beast because the difference in G League and NBA is obviously tremendous. Mm-hmm. So it's not really a fair simulation of where that player will go. And uh, it just, there needs to be more flexibility in how you do it. 
you, you need to streamline these leagues, both college and G League and NBA, in a way where it's easier to integrate these players and also be able to adjust to these players' uh, mentalities and inclinations and needs and what whatever. And it's just a different beast. The ecosystem is just so vastly different. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I want to see an academy. I would definitely want to see an NBA academy in the United States. But, I mean, then the, the question arises, if the NBA creates an academy with the best high school players in the, in, in the nation, for example, mm-hmm. well, who do they play against? Like, what's right. the competition? Right. The, right. And that, right, right. And that's where you, you kind of look at the AAU system and go, oh, well, that solves the issue. But AAU is a corrupt little model that's just... A lot of players, they go into the AAU circuit, and then when they come out of it and, and become you know all-stars or whatever, then they have the confidence to open their mouths and go, yeah, that wasn't really good, but I had to do it for my own, mm-hmm. you know, my own brand. I had to showcase myself. So... If we can find an alternative to the AAU circuit where the NBA is actively involved and maybe even the NBA and the NCAA together, I mean, I'm all up for that. Yeah. So um, on the academy note, I mean, it's interesting. And I, I, I agree with your point that it'd be great to give these guys the opportunity if they're ready. Because I look at, you know, look at a guy like Luka Doncic, who's going to be a top three pick almost unanimously in this year's draft class oh yeah he he was a professional he debuted with real madrid at the age of 16 yep you know it it, i don't want to say that gives international players like an unfair leg up on u.s players but you know it it's valuable scouting that you know nba scouts can now look at three years of tape of luka Doncic playing against professional players and you know right. the people, the people who say, "Oh well, college is better." You know, the NCAA is better than any international league. That's not true at all. Like Luka Doncic no, is playing as grown ass men in a very, in the top tier Spanish league. Like oh, that, yeah. that is valuable scouting information. So yeah, it would be really. I, I again, I don't know how the NBA does it. I think you brought up some very fair points about who do they play, and then you know on the NCAA side. I could see them saying, "Well, you know, who who do we get? Like, who do we have left? If all of, if you're taking all the top basketball players, like, right? What you know, uh, what's going to happen to all of our marquee programs? Like, is CBS and Turner Sports going to want to continue paying billions of dollars for the NCAA tournament every year when we're not getting guys who are you know the top NBA prospects? Like, that's part of the appeal mm. is watching a Kemba Walker." Or watching a Stephen Curry go on these ridiculous runs and then become a top ten, top fifteen pick. If you don't have that, does that affect the NCAA's business model? Should the NBA care about that? No, no, <laughs> yeah. they shouldn't. Here's where I stand: the NCAA have had so many chances at correcting their product and mm-hmm. also allowing players to earn money outside of the floor. And you know what? Whatever mess that they've created for themselves is self-made when it comes to the the reputation that they have. I know you said earlier that the NPA, you know, added to their list of problems with the one-and-done rule. I agree with that to to a certain extent. But there were always issues with the NCAA. So uh, I I think their brand is, is hurting on their own accord. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the NBA's brand is stronger than ever. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, it it just seems that the 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 reputation of each league are just so vastly different because one seems very dictatorship ish and the other mm-hmm. is way more open and free flowing, and and that's why I think that those two leagues should come together and sort of find a product that's in the middle ground mm-hmm. where players can develop at their own speed and own pace. And mm-hmm. and that's another thing, you know, in in terms of that because we all have these ideas that a player who's let's say a physical beast in high school we have this idea that he's going to follow his his development curve you know one two three but it could be that that person even though he's dominating in high school stays at one mm-hmm. for, for a year and doesn't take that one that one leap but does that the following year right but the end but 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 the system is just like no no because your reputation is you're NBA ready so you got to go Mm-hmm. And we all know that players who stay in college for more than one year, they have a tendency to get torn down a little bit. Yep. So if a if a player, let's I I think I actually have a pretty good example. Let's take Miles Bridges. Yep. yep Miles yep. Bridges was a guy who was supposed to be a lottery pick last year. He decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to Michigan State, and everyone everyone was like, he's going to be the best player in college basketball next year, mm-hmm. meaning this year. He hasn't been. Mm-hmm. He's been good. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't made that big, fantastic leap that everyone thought he would, and now he's slipping in the mock drafts. Whereas he's still improved; like yeah. he, he's a, a clearly a better player now than he was last year. And and the 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 depth of this year's draft class is not even that significant as last year. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, he should at least stay in the same position. But he's slipping now in a in a more slim draft just because oh he didn't. He didn't live up to our expectations. Right. We have this mantra of one, two, three, but oh, he stuck. He was stuck at one and a half. Mm-hmm. So, and then everything just falls to shit, which is just so weird <laughs> to me. And that's where the flexibility of Europe would just help this dude. Yeah, like, oh, your development is not going as we planned. Fine, we'll just take you back a slot to to uh, the team just below this one, and you'll gain regain some confidence. You'll you'll see that you you are the man, and then. After you just get your mind straight in a couple months, back up to the first team again. Oh, look! You're now you're succeeding. Mm-hmm. That level of flexibility would just be wonderful in yeah. in American basketball. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and I I think back to like <laughs> the last time Georgetown basketball was good with Jeff Green and Roy Hibbert back in the late 2000s. Uh, it was you know they go to the Final Four. Jeff Green declares after 2007. He was the number five pick that year. Roy Hibbert comes back, falls down to number 17. If Hibbert declared that year, he would have been a top 10 pick. But as you said, like he comes back, doesn't add that much to his game. He's still just the same guy, basically. You know, right? (laughs) He did hit one three pointer, uh, a very memorable three pointer that his senior season. But otherwise, you know, just a great rim protector, good rebounder, good shot blocker not a super elite offensive option which we saw pan out in the nba like if jeff green comes back i don't think he's i don't know if he's a top 10 pick that next year it's a Mm -hmm. it's like a it's a crappy system to incentivize these these guys to leave because if they come back they're gonna get torn apart so it's it's i mean i'm glad yeah i think the, the bottom line for this whole thing is I'm very glad to hear the nba is taking a serious look at this i think it is long overdue Um, I wouldn't, for anyone expecting like a radical change by next year, I would say that's not going to happen. If anything, (laughs) (laughs) if anything, yeah, the fastest thing that's going to happen in this whole thing 
is the NCAA is going to have to adopt the Olympic model where kids can start getting money for endorsements and signing autographs yeah. and all that stuff because, yeah. like, they're the ones with the major problem in terms mm-hmm. of this whole recruiting scandal. The NBA is just trying to step in and help because they realize, like, you know, all these players are all these elite players are going to come to us one day. So it is. It does affect right. us, even not if not directly. So. You know, any right. final thoughts, Mort, on this whole thing? Well, I just, yeah, I, I, I just want to bring up one last example because I think yeah. that's pretty significant. Um, Joakim Noah would have been a Toronto Raptor mm-hmm. if he had declared the year before he did. Like, remember, he, Al Horford, and Corey yep. Brewer returned to Florida, back. and they yep. won. Yeah, and they won the championship again. Uh. So he would, he would have gone ahead of Andrea Bargnani in the 2006 mm-hmm. NBA draft. Yeah, he would have gone number one. Instead, he went to the Chicago next year at number nine. Yep. He fell from one to number nine because he stayed in college a year more. And clearly, that year helped him. I know his stats weren't as good, but when you win the championship again and your defense, like his defense was drastically improved from his sophomore to junior year. Mm-hmm. No one seemed to recognize that. That was like, oh, well, he decided to stick around, so let's punish him for doing so. Right. And let's let him slip. Like there's no way he was he was like supposed to go ninth, ninth, He'd... from 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 number one the year before. That's He's... that's ridiculous. He staved off Greg Oden in that championship game too. He did. Yeah. He did. And I understand that the twenty uh, two thousand and seven draft was deeper, obviously, yeah, right? But not to the extent <laughs> that he had to go ninth. Right. Didn't did Corey so, Brewer so, go before yeah. him? Yeah, he went to seven. <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah, I mean it was but that that draft was weird though. Yeah. I mean you you had E Yang Yang going sixth. Oh right? yeah. Oh god. And Brandon Brandon Wright was going eighth. So mm. Yeah. It was wow. just it was weird all over. Yeah. But still, uh, I mean, there's no way he should have dropped that far, but that was just because he returned to college. And I think we as Folks in the media, we we tend to do this as well. Like we tend to crap on players who return to school because then suddenly we poke holes in their games, mm-hmm. and that's unfair. Um, yeah. we should instead focus more on this the players' development from year one to year two. Uh, I'm just hang on a second. I'm just gonna find uh, Miles Bridges' profile real quick. I have it here. For example, Miles Bridges last year shot. 68.5% from the free throw line. This year, that's 88%. So that's a 20 wow. percentage point increase. Increase, But teams, to, or teams, to, nobody really looks at that. They look at the raw stats. Oh, he's he's down in his rebounding. He's still at 16.9 points just this last year. Where where's he's, he's down in shot blocking. He's a little bit down in threes. Oh, he's regressed. Mm-hmm. He Statistically, yeah. But his influence... And the way that Michigan State uses him, no, like it's clear that he is a developed player. But no, I mean, you just have to look for the small things where he did take huge leaps. I mean, if a guy comes into the league right now having shot eighty-eight percent from the line, you look at him as more potential of a shooter. Agreed? Yeah, I'm just sad Julian I mean, Okafor didn't <laughs> didn't come back to school so they could have poked holes in his game. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah. All right, Moit. Let's pivot and talk about the Los Angeles Lakers, who since yeah. 
early January have gone 17 and 8. And they mm-hmm. were, I mean, it should have been 18 and 7 had they held off Portland on Monday night. But Damian Lillard heard the phone call. It was Lillard time. And he single handedly destroyed the Lakers in the last six minutes of that game. But even without that win, and they, they were playing without Brandon Ingram who uh, has a strained groin, I believe, and Josh Hart, who injured his hand. Uh, Mm. You know, they still gave the Blazers, who are currently the number three seed in the West, they gave them a hell of a struggle. So I want to first play devil's advocate about this Lakers hot streak because I do want to point out that a good number of these wins have come against truly terrible teams. So... Of the 17, we have Atlanta, Sacramento, Dallas, the Knicks, the Bulls, Brooklyn, Phoenix, Dallas, Sacramento, Atlanta. That's 10 of the 17 right away that are just against even lower bottom feeders. They beat OKC Mm. twice, um, Sands, Andre Roberson. They've beat the Spurs twice, one of which came without Kawhi Leonard. So... You know, there might be some paper tiger in all of this, but at the same time, I mean, for a team that was 11 and 27 when they started this hot streak, they're now talking about like, hey, you know, we could reach 500 by the end of the year. Yeah. Do you think that matters heading into this offseason where they have made no secret about their plans to try to get a Paul George, a LeBron James, a DeMarcus Cousins or two of them? Um, well, it's it's funny because I, I recorded a very long Lakers podcast in Danish uh, last night. And uh, the, my co-host and I, we were pretty much in a full agreement they shouldn't go after these guys because it seems like the, a better bet would just to keep, be to keep the young core intact and see if they could add young pieces on the cheap. But if the goal for the Lakers is is LeBron James or a Paul George or whatever, then obviously, yeah, that carries tremendous weight if you can finish the year strong and have a decent record. Uh, thing is, though, where do you go from there? Like, even if you get a LeBron, and, I mean, he's he's 33, and there are no real top dog on this team who can play alongside him. Like, what do you do here? Mm-hmm. The, the, whole, the whole plan is just so weird to me. <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan of it. I mean... We we were we were throwing like ideas up against the wall last night, and one one that I got, I've been thinking about it all day because I I think that could be interesting. You know, the Lakers should look at teams who made huge mistakes and try to capitalize off of that. For example, mm-hmm. Orlando did not pick up the fourth year option on Mario Hisonia, mm-hmm. and you can throw Hisonia into that system right now or this summer, and yeah. he would be a good fit with them. Because he is athletic, he can shoot, he can play off ball, on ball. That would just create a whole new dynamic for them and give them some depth while still maintaining their youth process. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, yes, it would help them. It definitely would help them going into to the offseason if they finished on a high note. But I don't think the goal should be to you know, make themselves more attractive to, to veteran free agents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think this team finishing 500 or close to 500, I don't know that that sends the message to LeBron James that, like, come join us and we'll immediately beat the Rockets and the Warriors. You know, I, I think he realizes 
even if you add Paul George and LeBron James, I still don't know that this Lakers team beats those two teams right. just because they are so good and the Lakers would have to give up everyone. They would only have like mm-hmm. Brandon Ingram, uh, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, and Josh Hart left, basically. Like they'd have to right. give up Julius Randle, who has been playing phenomenally the last couple months. Um that hurts. I mean that <laughs> you know, the the lack of depth would come back to haunt them even if you mm-hmm. land these two superstars. That yep. said, you know, I could see this becoming like LeBron I think is his own <laughs> he's on his own tier of, you know, he's going to consider a bunch of different teams and a bunch of different situations. It wouldn't surprise me if he wants to stay in the East just to avoid the you know, he's thinking about rings. He's toward the end of his career. He's like, I need to catch up with Michael Jordan. I don't want to play the Warriors and the Rockets before I even get to the finals. Paul George, though, I could see this actually, you know, coloring his thinking, especially given how the Thunder have struggled of late without Roberson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Carmelo Anthony has a $27.9 million player option for next season. If he doesn't pick up that player option, he should fire his agent immediately. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was that paperwork should already be filed and just ready. I mean, right. So, like this Thunder team is locked into what they have, and they're going to be paying the luxury tax next year if they re-sign Paul George. Right. So, like you know, does he like playing with Russell Westbrook and Stephen Adams? Maybe, but these struggles combined with the Lakers suddenly showing a pulse. You know, mm-hmm. that it wouldn't surprise me if the two teams continue on their current trajectories. OKC down, Lakers up. If that helps swing him to the Lakers, which is not, this isn't exactly like it's not a hot take. He's been openly flirting with them for over oh, yeah. a year now. I mean, it sounds like the OKC had to do all everything in its power to prevent him from going to the Lakers. And I don't know, you know, kudos to Sam Presti for trying, but I don't think it's taken off the way he expected it to. Um, I mean, if the if the Thunder missed the playoffs, he's gone. I think. And oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're yeah. they're very firmly they're in that mix right now. I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday, March sixth. Right now, there are four games separating the Blazers, who are the third seed, and the Jazz, who are the tenth seed. So it is too early to be saying. Any team is going to miss the playoffs. We just don't know. Mm. But the Thunder is currently seventh. They're only a game and a half up on the Clippers, who are ninth. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 certainly interesting to see the Lakers playing this well. And I th- I mean I think you know Lakers Lakers exceptionalism is very much a thing where they expect to sign every free agent because they're the Lakers. But yeah. I think. If they continue along this path for the the rest of the season, I don't think it's exceptionalism anymore. I just think a free agent sees, hey, this team has $60 million in cap space. Ingram's playing well. Lonzo's playing well. If they don't, you know, if they don't get this double max, uh, the double max that they wanted to do, let's bring in Paul George for $30 million. Let's re-sign Julius Randle for $15 million. Let's see, who, you know, can we retain Brooke Lopez for the mid-level exception? Like, well, they won't have the mid-level exception, but can we retain, right, right. you know, him for 8 or $9 million? Like, can we 
build out a decent team and continue this upward trajectory, keep our cap space for 2019, and then, hey, Kawhi, hey, Clay Thompson, come join Paul George and Lonzo and Brandon Ingram in 2019. Like, Kawhi, I, Paul George, and Brandon Ingram. That's yeah. three small forwards right there. That would be interesting. Yeah. Well, Paul George could play. I mean, Paul George, all three of those guys could play the four. Yeah, that's true. All right, so I think what your point here is, uh, I, I, to your point, I should say, there's a difference in the Lakers going out and getting Paul George or LeBron James mm-hmm. from an age perspective because yeah. Paul is going to be 28 yep. when that contract theoretically would be signed. Yep. That's still that's in a similar vein as to the, the, the players that they have now, sort of. Kyle Kuzma is right. 22, Julius Randle 23. You know, it's it's not that big of a step. Whereas with LeBron, you would have a 10-year difference. <laughs> yeah. So the window would be smaller. Yeah. Or at least, yeah, a little bit more limited. So I would be more inclined to go off of Paul George than LeBron. And also because they're, they hope, and they they better be right, that Lonzo is going to turn in to a star, or at least in a fringe all-star at the worst. Mm-hmm. But that... Again, we've talked about this on the Philly episode with LeBron, you know, the, the rumors the going on there. When LeBron goes somewhere, you know, whoever is the primary ball handler better get settled in for not being that. Mm-hmm. And Lonzo would get the ball taken out of his hands a lot. Mm-hmm. And as we've seen so far, offensively speaking, he's not really been that strong. He's a, he's a, a way better defender than he yep. is an offensive player at this at this point in, in of his career. So adding LeBron to that mix and telling Lonzo, hey, go stand in the corner, <laughs> that's not something that bodes well for his development either. Right. So I would be more inclined to go with Paul George because George is the off-ball player. Yeah. He's the guy who can spot off, run around screens. He can do all those things while still being able to handle the ball if necessary, obviously. Yeah, I mean, to Lonzo's credit, he's been shooting better of late over yeah, his last yes. five. He's shooting almost 59% from three-point range. Granted, mm. that is an enormously small sample size, so I don't, you know, I, I don't think you're making, hopefully, <laughs> the Lakers aren't making a free agent decision based off of five games, but I agree more. Like, uh, signing LeBron is a win-now move. The, I don't yep. know that the Lakers... Again, even if they sign Paul George and LeBron James, I don't know if they would be ready to truly challenge the Warriors, the Rockets, the Spurs once Kawhi is healthy, the Timberwolves when Jimmy Butler is healthy. Like, they'd be in that... I mean, the Warriors and the Rockets are in their own tier. They'd be in that next tier. But I don't... uh, I don't know if they would get past either the Warriors or the Rockets. So I'm with you. I think the Paul George thing, like, by all means, go for it. Because... You know, yeah, he's in his prime. He's not gonna want. He's not gonna want to join a team that's like three years away from competing for a playoff spot. But you add Paul right. George to this Lakers team and bring back Randall, they're gonna be in the playoff hunt next year. Yeah, they're gonna be in the playoffs. Yeah, Pro- I mean, it it <laughs> the West is just such a bloodbath every year that it's hard to like say definitively yes because I don't know who among the. Uh, the Clippers might fall just because the smoke and mirrors from, you know, how however they're piecing this together might fall apart. But mm. the other nine teams are going to be right back in the mix next year, presumably. I guess the Thunder could fall out 
if Paul they, they would definitely that's that's yeah. what I'm thinking and, and yeah. plus I think Julius Randle is one of the most underrated players we have in the Western Conference right now yeah he's I been mean playing incredibly he's, he's he is incredible that's the yeah. thing I mean when we went into this season I mean I we were a lot of people going Julius Randle is going to be the best player on the Lakers this year mm-hmm. and that was accurate but the thing is you know the 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 average Laker fan was sort of uh seduced by this LeBron talk and that was was kind of unfair to 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 Randall because then he became the sacrificial lamb mm-hmm. and everyone was just like oh okay so you know what you just I know I'm already disengaging from you mm-hmm. and I I don't think that was fair to him he's been playing so well I I'm I'm actually reached that stage stage where I I'm looking at him and going I don't know if the Lakers can afford to lose him. Oh yeah. Regardless of who they sign. Yeah. Right. I mean it feels like it, it always sounds dumb to say like a team would be better off not signing LeBron James, but right. Yeah. Given where they are in their their rebuild trajectory or rebuild curve, I should say. Yeah, I mean, over his last 22 games, Randall's averaged 19 points, almost 9 rebounds, 3 assists, almost, you know, 58% shooting. Like, yeah. that's a player, like, he's going to get paid this summer. Like, he is one of the rare restricted free agents who is going to break the bank. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, he's got a true shooting percentage of over 60. And yeah. he, the first the first year, he you know, he was back after the injury, it was the knock on him was his lack of efficiency. Like mm-hmm. he didn't take good shots, and and a lot of people wrote articles, you know, about him potentially not being able to to recover that ability mm-hmm. and to be one of the. He was like inclined to be one of those low efficiency scores for the rest of his his career. Uh, well, hello, yeah, that's that's not the case and he's getting to the free throw line a lot more and he's just being more selective with his shots and it's working he's he's playing tremendously in the fast break when it comes to like diming and handling the basketball for for a 6-9 big he's playing a lot of center now as well and he's holding his own and what is he right now 23 23 mm-hmm. 23 mm-hmm. that's the thing like he's he's going to get better as well right for yeah. for at least another three years, like the, this is not the, the the you know the mountaintop for him by any stretch of the imagination. No, definitely. Like his per true shooting percentage and free throw rate have increased substantially every year over the last three years. Like yeah. it, it it feels weird to say it, but like he has all star potential. I think if he hits the ceiling. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be... I mean, I'm taking... I still don't take the Lakers seriously as a threat to sign both LeBron and Paul George. I, you know, I could very well be wrong, and I will will take that egg on my face if that's how it happens, but I I do consider them a very real threat to sign Paul George. At this point, if I had to bet, I would say it's more likely that they sign Paul George than it is that he comes back to OKC. I could go along with that one. I still think, though, having said all that, I would still prefer the route that I spoke about initially. You know, making teams pay for bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, this this would be a little bit fun because the Lakers were in that situation where they gave up D'Angelo Russell 
yep. to give up Mozgov so they could clear cap space. Always, mm-hmm. I I was not a fan of that deal. Yeah, but now they're in a place where they have so much cap space going, they could actually turn around and do the same thing with different teams. That's and, true. But but they won't because they sold the D'Angelo Russell trade on hey cap space. Yeah, well, which is unfortunate. I they, think. I mean, you know, again, to go back, they they signed Paul George. They can sign Julius Randle. They have fifteen million left. The Sixers are going to sign LeBron James. They need to jump Jared Bayless's contract. Call up the Lakers. Say, all right, you know, you, you, you'll take. Pick? Yeah, Jared Bayless. You can have the whatever. A yeah, one right. of our two first round picks this year. You can have Rashawn Holmes. You can have uh, Luau Cabrero. You can have Furkan Korkmaz. Yeah. Like, no, they could, they could they could they could really make a killing if they did that. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I, I I agree. If they use their cap space to extort another team, that would be mm-hmm. a very smart. I mean, the 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 one thing they should not do this summer is sign mediocre players to long term deals. Hopefully, they learned their lesson with Mozgov and Luol Deng two years ago. I think. They're smart enough to see Luol Deng rotting on their bench for $18 million a year and know, you know, all right, if we have to bring Isaiah Thomas back, we sure as shit aren't giving him more than a one-year deal. Yep. But nope. it's going to be, they're going to be a fascinating team over the next couple of months. All right, Mort, let's pivot now to Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan, both of whom have released... Uh, or I guess have given comments in DeRozan's case, and then Kevin Love uh, released an article on the Players' Tribune today, which is Tuesday, um, about his, I don't want to say struggles, but I guess he's he had a panic attack for the first time in November, and then you know recently he left that game against the Thunder with a quote-unquote illness, came under fire for it, has been famously discussed with Isaiah Thomas and Dwayne Wade, among others. Uh, ESPN's David McMenamin is now reporting that he did, in fact, suffer another panic attack during that loss to the Thunder, mm-hmm. had to leave the game, had to leave the arena, I believe, uh, after only a couple minutes. So, yeah. and then DeMar DeRozan, uh, this was probably two weeks ago, or I guess during the All-Star weekend, um, he tweeted, quote, this depression get the best of me. Um, and then it kind of expanded on that in a in a video with ESPN. He also spoke with Doug Smith of the Star in Toronto about it. Um, I mean, on my end, I just I think it's so brave that those guys are like open opening up about this. Just you know, <clears throat> given the whole stigma around mental illness in this country. Especially, no thanks to our president as of late. Um, and Kevin Love, in his essay, was kind of talking about, you know, as a as a boy and as an athlete from a young age, you're taught to be tough, and you know, be, be having something wrong with your mind isn't manly, so you can't discuss it. And I think it's mm. awesome that those guys are breaking that stigma and are saying, look, there's, you know, everyone's got their own shit going on. There's nothing wrong the worst thing you could do is bottle it up and not talk about it because then it yep. it comes out in weird and bad ways and like self-destructive ways so Very i hope much. you know i i hope that having these guys you know come out and 
give these kinds of stories and examples sets an example for people dealing with this kind of thing and that aren't you know that don't have someone to talk with it about Hmm. I, i agree yeah you know i mean um i i have a person in my life who's had it real rough with depressions uh for many 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 years um was able to talk about it seek professional help and and guidance and was very communicative about it over the years which helped and and that's definitely the way forward um Mm -hmm. because i've also experienced in in my own network people who who suddenly did uh, weird things because they bottled it up Mm -hmm. and uh, i think it's more of of uh yeah, I mean, you touched on it. Kevin touched on it in regards to to being a man is comes with certain expectations, and that unfortunately is a stigma that is <laughs> accurate because we are being taught that men are, you know, the hunters, and and you know we have to be strong for everyone. We have to be that rock all the time, and I think in in always trying to be that rock, you sort of forget your own place. You sort of forget to check in on yourself and go, oh. Hey, how are you mm-hmm. doing today? <laughs> right. You know, um, I mean, hey, I've, I've suffered from uh, emotional stress, for example. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know this situation. I think I can talk about this. Um, you know, I, I once, I was uh, an editor, editor-in-chief on a Canadian basketball site where you worked as well called mm-hmm. Hoop 365. Yep. Um, and Mark Deeks was there as well and Seth Park now. And it was like the roster of, of guys there was just was incredible yeah but um oh the ownership was no i'm gonna say it uh, straight up the ownership was bad bad shit crazy Uh, (laughs) completely bad shit crazy Uh, yeah they they were they were malicious and and vicious and uh they they changed the direction of the site basically weekly and as the 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 editor-in-chief i had to spend more time discussing with the owner uh, in terms of what the direction had to be for the site than to actually edit pieces coming in from you guys i remember uh one time i i was waiting to or i, I was I, I had just received an article a great article actually from seth part now and uh I, I was about to edit it when when the owner contacted me about an, an idea he had, which which was just horrible and also <laughs> illegal, because he wanted to basically rip video content from the NBA illegally oh and and play it on their own player. And I was like, no, you can't do that. I don't want to be associated with that. No one wants to be associated with that. We'll all walk if that happens. And I spent, I think, almost two days in just. In, in a very very serious discussion with him about this to the point where Seth and, and bless his patience for waiting that long because it was a time pressing post he had made mm-hmm. wrote me and said hey is that article ever going to come up <laughs> which was very fair <laughs> sure but I mean and I totally get why he was pushing for me for, for that article to come out but I was I was in survival mode at that mm-hmm. point in time because that that boss was going to do something that would affect the reputation of all of us mm-hmm and that was just a very difficult position because he con- constantly put me and Mark in these situations where we had to leave our, our regular work and kind of talk him down from, from pure insanity ideas. And that, that it just it stressed me the hell out. I mm-hmm. mean, it was really, really difficult 
to just wake up in the morning and know every day that you know I'm I'm in the I'm <laughs> I'm potentially in 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 a, in a fight here because this guy is going to come up to me with some sh- with some crazy ass idea and I'm going to have to spend the next 10 12 hours of the day just talking to him communicating with him and trying to you know make him understand this is a bad idea for whatever reason and when you can't do your work and you can't even allow yourself the time to look in the mirror and go how are you doing today mm-hmm. you're gonna be messed up and when i uh, resigned that position uh, mark and i resigned <laughs> within 15 minutes of each other actually um we we were we were very uh, yeah sure we lost some some financial aspects which were pretty important especially mm-hmm. for mark but we gained a whole lot i mean it was it was the monkey coming off our backs it was just the ability to just knowing the following day that we did not have to deal with that person that we mm-hmm. did not have any responsibility in whatever went down um it was it was very difficult and yeah. because i spoke about it with my to my wife then girlfriend almost every day every, every hour i mean i was able to get feedback i was able to get this thing lifted off of me so i didn't go completely insane <laughs> i mean i had nights where i was sitting because i was i was working us times mm-hmm. because you know can, can, canada and all that and there were there were evenings where I was just sitting at the computer and I I was I was uh, messaging with him on on Skype and I could I could not get through to this bastard <laughs> and I was just sitting there and I was I, I found myself just crying and yeah. crying and crying and crying because it was so frustrating that some of the things that he he wanted like he wanted to steal code from people as well it was weird oh so God. weird everything was weird and I mean. At the end, you just you couldn't ha- you couldn't take it anymore. You just mm-hmm. couldn't take it anymore. But being able to talk about it was huge. And I advise everyone, everyone who's got it rough with family or work or friends or relationships, like romantic relationship, whatever, uh, talk. Yeah. I mean, in this in this day and age as well, everyone is has moved on. This is not the 1940s or 50s anymore. Yeah, like mm-hmm. if. Uh, to the people out there listening, like if you are, you know, maybe homosexual and you feel that you can't tell that to people, I would strongly advise you to revisit that position and and make you, I, I mean, or to to suggest to you to tell them anyway, because mm-hmm. people are definitely way more accepting of a hell of a lot of things today than they were, you know, forty, sixty, or, or maybe even twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. It's a different world, and I would just advise everyone to who feels bad or feels out of place, whatever, just talk, talk. Yeah, well, more that's the clearest sign yet that you don't live in the South, because down here <laughs> we're still a little backwards at times. But no, I, I mean, I, even, I, seriously, even with homosexuality in oh my god, yeah. Well, not not in Nashville. Nashville is a liberal city, but out yes, outside, <laughs> absolutely. 150 percent yes i mean Uh, i know they like their guns and i know they they like their people white but i (laughs) thought that oh no okay yeah 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 they gotta be white i i I keep having apparently (laughs) too high an opinion of the united states i see you sure do that's 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 on me my apologies i'm gonna bring it down more don't worry over the coming (laughs) weeks but yeah i mean to your point and both kevin and damar said this too and kevin wrote i'm i just think 
I'm going to quote it exactly. He said, everyone is going through something that we can't see. And DeMar said, you never know what that person is going through. And it's true. I mean, everyone's got shit going on in their lives. And I think part of it is we live in this, like, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat culture where we, like, we personally curate the best parts of our lives and show them and show, like, look at how happy I am. I'm having so much fun. I'm doing all this cool shit. But then, like, in the day-to-day where you're feeling stressed or you're feeling down, you're not going to post a picture of yourself, like, kind of just feeling like shit. You're just, you know, you're going to pretend like everything's okay and just not post that day or move on or post a picture of your dog with a muddy nose or something. So, yeah, yeah like, every, you know, I, more you and I have known each other for years now. Like, we got to know each other more as as that whole site uh started to crash and it, we became yeah. friends like you know during that whole nonsense but you know throughout the last couple of years like we've we've each had our own stuff going on outside of this podcast we we use this podcast as a refuge frankly from some of the real life stuff that we've got going on so you know absolutely I, i'm sure that's true for not only everyone in basketball twitter it's true for everyone and i think you know, having these guys come out and talk about it is huge. Mm-hmm. And I, I I hope that we can all learn from that. And, you know, before you before the next time you're about to, like, jump down someone's throat on Twitter because they tweeted something stupid or it's tweeted something hell that you just don't agree with. Like, just take a second and realize, like, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's a reason they posted that outside of they just want to be a troll. Like, Skip Bayless, flame the hell away. You know, who cares? Because <laughs> that's just yeah. how he makes a living. But, you know, I just think the world in general could use a lot more decency these days. Um, oh, yeah. And hopefully we start pivoting back toward that uh, in the coming months and years. But, yeah, like, just empathizing with people and realizing, like, you just don't know what someone else is going through. Like, you know, you, you feel like you know people on Twitter because you see their tweets every day and you, you like, tweet back and forth with them. But you don't know until they either come out publicly and say it or you have a side conversation with them. But, you know, just because you see Matt Moore's tweets every day doesn't mean you know, like, all the stress he's going through on a day-to-day life. Or, you know, it goes for anyone. Like, any major figure on basketball Twitter. So mm. I think it's, I, I really, I wanted to shout out both Kevin and DeMar for shining a spotlight on this mm. and, you know, having the courage to, it, it, Kevin said, like, it, it takes a lot. It goes against your instincts as an athlete, you know, based on gender constructs as a man, you, you're like not supposed to talk about this stuff, but right. You know, I I think you're right, Mort. The best, like, the worst thing you could do is not talk about it. The best thing you can do is be open and honest with people and say, hey, I've got this shit going on. Like, someone help me talk it out. I would not, I mean, my my wife and I have been together since we were 18 years old. Mm -hmm. We're turning 32 this year. We would not have been together for this long had I not been the exact opposite of my parents in terms of talking about my emotions because mm-hmm. I was used to parents who were slightly closed off and where, you know, oh, things would work out, work itself out sort of a way, you know. 
and I hated that. I, as a kid, I didn't understand because I always asked a lot of questions. And then I realized, okay, you have a, you have answers. You just don't want to tell talk to me about it because oh, it might be emotional. And I just vowed at a very early age I should I should communicate. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Jesus, uh, the, the the kind type of relationship that I have with my wife right now because we we are able to communicate about everything. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. even matter how small it is. It's it's so wonderful. And yeah. I I think a lot of men fear. You know communication with with their with their girlfriends or wives because they are under the assumption that you know the woman will look at that man and go oh you're weak because you're talking about your feelings no she will she will look at you in the exact opposite view mm-hmm. honestly that's that's a sign of strength and uh, I just want to close this segment off by saying one thing and and that's for everyone listening out there who you know are rolling their eyes at, at the conversation we're having right now you don't get it then yeah you don't get it and if you're the type of person who is gonna go oh kevin love said that well he's soft as a result or right. demar Derozan said well he's soft go fuck yourself yeah yeah exactly like you're you're part of the problem not part of the yeah. solution like and when yeah. i say that I, I don't i don't try to be malicious i'm basically telling you think in different ways than you do right now because you're in the wrong I think I couldn't agree more. Uh, all right, Mort, let's finish things off with our crush of the week. And these are <laughs> <laughs> back to basketball. Yeah. 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 I'm going to cheat on mine. I'm going to let, I'm going to let you go first. Yeah. Well, you know what? Because you're cheating, that means you haven't realized how good my guy is for this week. And I'm going to nail you right now with it. Bojan Bogdanovic from the Indiana Pacers, averaging twenty one point six points a game over the last five, shooting fifty seven point seven percent from downtown, eighty eight and a half percent from the free throw line, fifty six and a half percent overall. He's not rebounding worth a damn, despite being six eight, but that's just who he is, so that's fine. But this guy is scoring at will, draining three triples at night and taking five point two three throws. Uh, Bogdanovich for a while now has been a monster and he needs to be recognized I like it I, I, you know what just because of that I'm going to throw Alan Crabb back in your face as, oh nice yeah because like Bogdanovich but he had a terrible game against the Clippers on uh, I believe it was Sunday yeah mm-hmm. but prior to that over his previous 8 games 20.8 points on 45.5% shooting, shooting 40.5% from three on 10 and a half attempts per game. He was averaging yeah. 4.3 triples, uh, 4.3 rebounds, 1.3 assists, 1.0 steals in 34 minutes. More, I think I'm going to win our bet on <laughs> the Nets not making the playoffs and hell not even cla- mm-hmm. cracking 30 wins, even though I feel dirty about it. But, injuries yeah. <laughs> injuries that's all i'm saying had jeremy lynn been healthy that yeah. they would have been like the the eighth seed i'm yeah. just gonna I'm, I'm gonna die on this hill because i refuse to you, acknowledge you most certainly will as they are 13 and a half games back of the eighth seed right now <laughs> um, yeah. all right i lost this one but donovan mitchell yep. he's my bet now yep. now that's i i have a chance of redemption here He's been, yeah, no, you already redeemed yourself. He was your bet prior to the draft, and you won that one resoundingly. Yeah, uh, but like, if he wins Rookie of the Year, though, oh yeah, that that uh, would be the cherry on top. 
I, I need that to happen. We're saving that war for another episode <laughs> about a month <laughs> down the road. But I also do want to shout out the guys from the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast who arranged probably one of the most ridiculous trips uh, <laughs> in NBA history. They got about 400 people to fly into Chicago, spend the weekend in Chicago, take a bus up to Milwaukee, go to the Sixers-Bucks game on Sunday, in part because Embiid famously called uh, Milwaukee a shithole on Instagram last year, which was spectacular, but also because Malcolm Brogdon wrongly stole the Rookie of the Year from both Embiid and Sarich last year. So, Oh, the pettiness is real. It's amazing. Yeah, you could hear them like watching that game on Sunday. Uh, you could hear the trust the process chants from the upper deck, which was spectacular. Less great was the Sixers getting two 15-point leads and then blowing both and losing that game. And the Milwaukee fans were apparently uh, very happy to usher the Philly fans <laughs> out that night. But shouts to the rights to Ricky Sanchez, guys. Uh, you've actually created a cult, and it's hilarious. And when the Sixers won a title in three years... Uh, I expect you guys to start creating a Sam Hinkie statue the next day. There you go. (laughs) All right. So on that note, thank you to everyone for tuning in today. Please check us out on Twitter at the NBA pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio. So give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes. So please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We'd love any feedback. And we're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports. So check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FRS Hoops with a Z. I'm Brian Toporek. Until next time, I was joined by Morton Jensen. Have a good one, Mort. Yuzu, Brian. Take care. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clear. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.